I don't know how they expect me to breathe after some of these sessions and these songs. I don't know about you, but that's pretty awesome worship. So, good morning to you. Uh, for those of you that are new, we say welcome. We want you to know that Northridge is a safe place. It's a place for um, those that have been walking with Jesus for a long time. Whoop, that's the wrong spot. It's a place for those of you that are maybe questioning um, Jesus, God, is he real? Can I trust him? Can I believe in him? Do I want to? And anywhere in between that. This is a place for people to come and make connections with other people. It's a place to come and ask questions. It's a place to come and just to be together as we uh, journey towards learning about more about Jesus. For those of you that don't know me, uh, my name is Chris Bickett. I am the student ministries pastor here at Northridge, and it's my privilege to preach this weekend. Pastor Brent and Laura and family are wrapping up their vacation, much-needed time away. Uh, for those of you that are on Facebook with them, you have seen some of the things that have terrorized them on the beach, like a giant alligator and a castle, and you can ask them for more details about that or go Facebook surfing and um, do some detective work there. This week, we are wrapping up our At The Movie series. So for those of you that have been absolutely loving the popcorn in the morning, grab an extra box on the way out to take with you. Um, you can ziplock it, keep it for next week. It will not be here next week. We are starting into our next series, and it's going to be a good one. This week, though, we are finishing up with The Greatest Showman, and it's called Ignite the Spark. And I tell you, when we were brainstorming ideas and series, we were going through all of them. You know, in Apollo 13, Remember the Titans, Saving Private Ryan. Pastor Brent was all over those, all over those. I, I was like, give me The Greatest Showman. <laughs> and he kind of looked, and he was like, yes. Because his response was, the movie was, eh, okay. And my jaw literally hit the floor. I was like, okay, just okay okay, are you kidding me? So in case you can't tell, I am passionate about The Greatest Showman. There's a lot of great things in there besides it being a great movie. For those of you that are on Pastor Brent's side where it's like, eh, okay, sorry, you have me this week. So let's get started. Um, I was so excited actually about this topic that I knew about it before we went to youth camp, and so I did a little mini-series with some of the high schoolers while we were at youth camp for a day. So I'm going to make you do the same drill I did to them. Take out a piece of paper and a pencil, or else a mental checklist, or your phone, whatever your preference is. And for the next couple of seconds, it won't be long, I want you to make a list of what it is you feel you are good at, successful at. Make that list. Okay, so then next to it, I want you to make a list of things that you feel you're not so good at, that are maybe you're bad at, you consider yourself to be bad at, you wouldn't want to do them necessarily. So for those of you that are brave souls, how many of your lists were longer for the things that you are good at? We have a couple of hands. Ooh. Ooh. Um, for you really brave souls, how many of your lists were a little bit longer for things you consider yourself to be bad at? 
Yeah, a few more hands. Uh, I had a feeling. Um, when I do this activity every time, it never fails. My bad list is a little bit longer. What surprised me was with the high schoolers even, their list of what they considered themselves to be bad at was actually longer. And they don't have as much experience in life as I do. So I'm like, you guys really aren't that far yet. The truth of the matter is, though, that most of us are able to focus a little bit easier on things that we are consider ourselves to be bad at. may not always be bad, but we consider ourselves to be bad at it. There's one more thing that I want you to do. Um, you guys get a bonus because uh, you're not at youth camp. I want you to write down a couple of things that were childhood dreams that you can remember. Things maybe you wanted to do, places you wanted to go, um, anything that was like a childhood dream for you. So for me, a childhood dream was to be a nurse. And um, when I had that dream, it was pretty consistent. Like, I knew by the time I was in fifth grade, I was going to be a nurse. And as I continued through my education, I knew I was going to be a nurse. I even enrolled in nursing school to get my two-year license right into college. And along the way, um, for those of you that did your nursing school a long time ago when I would have been interested in this, and I'm not saying you're old, I'm saying I'm old, um, we would take oranges, and I had to get allergy shots growing up, so I always had access to syringes. They would never give them to you now, but when I was getting shots when I was young, they would give me the leftover syringe, you know, we'd flush that with water, and then I would practice giving the orange shots. And, you know, the skin is a little bit tough, so you have to practice getting it through the skin. So that was my dream when I was young, and um, the oranges got the brunt of it. Another dream was to visit Australia. It was always my goal to get to Australia. And um, I don't know about you, but I am 0 for 2 on my childhood dreams. I am neither a nurse, and I have not yet been to Australia. And so you guys can drop some not-so-subtle hints towards my husband that maybe that can be a big trip in the near future. <laughs> How many of you, by a show of hands if you're willing to, have accomplished a childhood dream or are actually living out what was your childhood dream? Oh, Wow. We have quite a few hands. That is awesome. So awesome. Those of you really talk to my husband, okay? I don't know what you figured out, but you do that. So today, what I want to talk about is actually dreams. Because it's significant, they're meaningful, and honestly, for a lot of us, our dreams kind of tend to die or go dormant as we get older. We sort of lay them aside if we don't naturally step into them. And the movie The Greatest Showman does a phenomenal job of transitioning us into that because this movie is about the life of P.T. Barnum, um, who was, you know, the master circusman. He um, had a rough childhood growing up. He was poor. He lost his father at a young age, had to figure out how to make it on his own. And throughout the movie, they show you some of those details. Not always pretty, had to steal to survive. Um, the love of his life happened to be from the opposite end of the societal spectrum. She was high society from wealth. And um, throughout the movie, you see her willingness, even as a young child, to give it all up because she loves him and believes in him and his dreams. The significance of the movie isn't just about the journey of his dream, it's also about his passion and persistence to make that dream come true. You see, a lot of times we skip over those dreams because we feel like they're not going to get us anywhere. Barnum, however, was forced into a position of needing to be creative. 
and it came to him naturally. When he was a child, you know, it opens up with him going through the house that's um, just empty and has all kinds of things in it. And as he looks at them, you see his creative mind, his genius just at work as he looks at things trying to figure out how he can use them. When he gets fired, he brings home the little spinning tin that has dots poked through it in order to make a kaleidoscope, basically, for his kids with a candle. Um, you know, so his brain forces him to go into these creative things. But along the way, it's not just him being creative. He dares to dream. Because when he's let go suddenly, all of a sudden there's no income to support him and his family, and he has to figure out a way to make this happen now. And so instead of going to another desk job, which is where he was, he decides to open up this circus. He doesn't call it the circus at the time, but it has all kinds of things in it, wax things and animals and things. And his girls are walking through and they said, Dad, you know, this is great, but it needs something living. And that triggers something in his brain. It triggers him back to a memory of when he was young and he was helped by somebody that was considered an outcast, a less than a person that needed to be hidden away because they were different. And so he begins to do something that I feel like we all need to do. We all need to dare to dream. And that's our first key takeaway today. Because when we dare to dream, it opens things up to us. And I know what you're thinking. A lot of you are thinking, Chris, we need to be realistic. Dreaming doesn't pay the bills. Dreaming doesn't help get my children into college. Dreaming doesn't pay for the car. In fact, I'm not even a creative person. I'm a logical person. I like numbers. I like facts. I like details. Lay it out for me. And um, I live in the real world. But I want to ask you, what if you could do both? What if you could be a logical person and still dream? What if you could be concrete and detailed and still dream? Is it possible to be a successful dreamer? And I think it is. And I know some of you are still wanting proof. Some of you are still feeling like I'm out in La La Land. So let's bring it in for a minute. Let me ask you this. What do you know to be true about God? Think about some of the things that you know to be true about God. We know that he's a creator. We know that he loves us. We know that he loves us so much he sent his son to die for us. He was willing to sacrifice his son for us to be in a relationship with us. We know that he created the world in six days and on the seventh day he rested. Now for those of you that are wondering about the logical, detailed side, take a look at the creation story. Take a look at anything around you on earth. God was very specific about what he created when, and it's outlined in the book of Genesis. He was very detailed. In fact, the last time I looked around, there aren't too many things that are simply black and white and boring that God created. I don't know about you, but if you take a look at geckos, rainbows, sunsets, birds, animals, whatever you want to, all of those things were created with extreme detail, but yet they're extremely creative. You see, it's not just the logical, it's also the creative, which has to come from dreaming. And some of you are still saying, that's fine, God did all of that, he's God, I'm not. But let me take you to something in Genesis. It's in Genesis 1.27, and it says, So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Now take a logical leap with me. God is creative, detailed, 
expansive in everything he created, and we are created in his image. I'm pretty sure God did not say, I'm going to make you like me, except you can no longer dream. Except you can no longer create. You see, we're created in God's image. He has given this to us, and his ability to create and design and implement belong to us as well. God created for pleasure, not purely functioning. We can see that when we look around. So my question again to you is, what dreams have you had that have been labeled dormant or dead even? I would say my dreams of nursing have been labeled pretty much dead. I could go back, but realistically, it's not going to happen. My dreams of going to Australia, those are hopefully still alive. You guys do your magic and they'll come true. <laughs> but you see, a lot of times we give up on our dreams because of fear or we worry about rejection or we think the cost of pursuing them is going to be too much. We think it takes us out of the realm of reality. You see, I gave up my dream of nursing while I was in nursing school because at that time my grandmother passed away. And for me, that was really hard emotionally. And so I had decided, if it's going to be this hard, I'm not going to try. I'm not going to do it. If it's going to be this hard, then I'm going to let go of that. And I did. I changed majors, and I went into education. And kids are quite the opposite of a hospital. And so I continued on. I put that dream aside. My guess is there's a lot of you that have done the same thing with some of your dreams. My guess is there are some of you that have dreams rolling around in your head right now that you're too scared, uncertain to pursue. So we're going to think about why it's important for us to actually do that. You see, when Barna pursued his passion and his dream of trying to create the circus, he went after a bunch that seemed illogical. It wasn't the high society he went after. It wasn't those that could give him lots and lots of money, which would make sense considering he was out to make a buck. He went after those that were hidden, after those that didn't feel like they belonged, after those that felt like outcasts because they were different. Now, if you haven't seen the movie, what you have to realize is he went after people that we would call eccentric, eclectic. They were different. It was a bearded woman, a tattooed man, a man-dog. You know, there's all kinds of things that were in the circus that were just considered abnormal to normal society. But Barnum saw past that. He saw that they were part of the bigger picture and that by bringing them together, it could create something unique and it could be a draw, an interest to other people so that they would be willing to pay to come and see what they were doing. Now, sometimes we think of that as extortion. But we have to realize with this, it, was, it wasn't extortion. Because Barnum saw beyond the exterior and saw the interior worth and value of these people that he was pulling together. You see, there's a verse in the Bible, and this comes from the message. It's 1 Corinthians 12, 27. Just listen to it. You are Christ's body. That's who you are. You must never forget this. Only as you accept your part of that body does your part mean anything. 
So let me tell you it this way. You've been given gifts and abilities by God. You've been created in his image. Whatever he has given to you is unique to you. The part that you have to play is up to you if you use it or not. Because along the way, what happens is we start looking around and saying, I like the skills that that person has. I want to be like her. I want to be like him. If I could only do this, if only I could do that. And we start comparing ourselves, and we take it to the next level even sometimes, and we start trying to be that person. Well, what happens if we start trying to be somebody else is we lose who we are. And our place in the big picture gets lost. It's kind of like trying to do a puzzle when you're missing a piece. It'll never be complete. You'll never see the whole picture if we don't own what we've been given. And along the way, if we're trying to be somebody else, we're not only hurting ourselves in the process, we're hurting everybody else around us. Because until we decide that our gifts have meaning, as they've been given to us, to use by us, the picture remains incomplete. You see, the second key thing we need to realize is that we need to discover your sweet spot. I found my sweet spot, for the most part. But my sweet spot is not your sweet spot. And what do I mean by sweet spot? I mean finding the place where you can use your gifts and abilities and it is enjoyable. You look forward to it. It brings you pleasure. It's fun even, if we can say something could be fun, right? You see, Jesus didn't make a mistake when he called his 12 disciples to follow after him. He called them out from different professions. It was for a reason. It wasn't for a lack of finding people. It was because he wanted those different professions to learn from him so that by the time they learned from him, they could go out into different venues of society and have impact. If he would have pulled all fishermen, then the only people that they would have been able to truly connect with would have been fishermen. If we only go to our specific one area, then a lot of people get left out. You see, Jesus has given us specific skills and gifts to be used. And Romans 12, 6 tells us in his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. There are certain things that I can do well that you can't. There are certain things that you can do well that I can't. And it's for a purpose. In that passage, Paul goes on to explain some of the different gifts that are outlined in the Bible, such as teaching and preaching and hospitality. And I think sometimes we get hung up on those because we say they're spiritual gifts. They're from the Bible. I'm not a Bible person. I can't do that. But the truth of the matter is we're given unique gifts to be used to share with others. And God goes on to tell us how to do that. He tells us to use it with as much faith as God has given you, to take responsibility for using your gifts, to do that well, and to do it gladly. Because you see, eventually our dreams tie into our gifts if we're willing to pursue it, if we're willing to see it through. You see, I'm not great at the art creative side. I can think creatively forward sometimes, but I am not good if you sit me down with crafts. Mm -mm. That is why I have a good friend that I ship my kids to because she loves to do crafts. 
and she will say, can your kids come over for the afternoon? I said, yes, absolutely, hallelujah, yours. There you go. I send them over. They get to do crafts with her. I have another friend that loves to take them out and do things with them. These are all friends using their gifts and abilities, and it rounds out my kids' experience because they're willing to share them. You see, passion gets ignited when we pursue dreams and lines with our giftings. I have children that are wired creatively, craftly. If they only had me, that would either go dormant or dead in them. And so by getting to spend time with our friends, they get to express that. They get to discover what they like and what they don't like. They get to discover, do they want to do more? Do they not want to do more? You see, when we're working in our sweet spot, when we discover what that is, it becomes easier for us to handle obstacles because it's something that we can work through. It becomes easier when there's challenges put in our way because we have a passion to get to whatever it is we're trying to pursue. It's part of the process of discovering our sweet spot. And truthfully, very few people will discover their sweet spot if they think it's a one-and-done opportunity. In order to discover our sweet spot, we have to try, and it may mean fail. And we have to try, and maybe fail, and try. And if you think that it's only for us, let me toss out a name to you and tell you somebody who's done this, Mark Cuban. Very popular right now in Shark Tank. He uh, is owner of the Dallas Mavericks. I have to read that because I don't know what that means. And he's, uh, <laughs> anyway, he's popular right now. Um, I, I could tell you who he is by looking at him, but I'd probably look at him and say he's popular, not his name. Anyway, he learned through a lot of failure how to be successful. Um, at the age of 24, he went to Dallas, Texas, and he worked numerous odd jobs because he simply couldn't find something he was good at. He failed at bartending because he couldn't open a bottle of wine without the cork falling in. He failed at short order cooking because he never knew when the food was ready unless he cut off a piece and tasted it. He failed as a salesman and a computer distributor when he was fired after less than a year on the job. These are all things that you think he could have just given up. But then at the age of 25 years old, he decided to start his own company. It was a dream. He grew it to $30 million. And then he decided to sell it. And after it was acquired, it gave him the ability to create something else, Broadcast.com, which was later acquired by Yahoo, and sold that for $5.7 billion in stock. So by the time he was 41 years old, he's wealthy beyond measure. But this came after he was a failure beyond measure at what seemed so simple. But you see, he wouldn't have known he was good at the things he was good at if he wouldn't have failed at the things he failed at. Part of our success is figuring out how to make it through failures and how to turn them into benefits. When we discover our sweet spot, it allows us to realize how God has wired us and how to be used for his glory. You see, God wants to work in us and through us, not just around us. The movie The Greatest Showman has some powerful actors in it. The amazing thing is that movie was one person's dream, Hugh Jackman's. And when he started that, he pitched it to other powerful actors and actresses. And then as they started getting involved, it became their dream as well. You see, this parallels with the movie because Barnum had a dream 
And as he brought the crew in and they started creating their show, it became their dream as well. They became a family that supported and encouraged each other. They became a community, which we talked about last week. The clip that I want to show you today doesn't actually come from the movie. The movie's a great hit. It's a success. You can go watch it. After this song, you're probably going to want to go watch it. I know I want to go watch it. But the clip that I'm going to show you is about the actress named Keala Settle. She's the gal who plays the bearded woman, and she sings the song, This Is Me. It's a very, very powerful, meaningful song if you actually listen to the words and the meaning. But before we get into that, what you have to realize is that this clip is a behind-the-scenes, but it's a pre-behind-the-scenes. At this point, the movie hadn't even been given a green light to go ahead as a movie. This is a session where they came together with a bunch of bigwigs in order to get the yes to go ahead with the movie. The director is going to explain to you a little bit about how Kiala felt going into this and some of the ways that she responded and she's going to share a little bit as well, and then they're going to go into the song. Now, what I want you to notice as we're watching this is the passion level. I want you to realize that Kiala had never sang this song in front of another person until this very moment that you watch in this clip. I want you to notice how the other people in the room respond as the song goes on. Pay attention to the piano player, Pay attention to the singers. Pay attention to Hugh Jackman, who's sitting at the table, and he's like the first one at the end of the table. That's his dream, his baby. He wants to make sure it's going to come to life. The other thing I want you to notice with Hugh Jackman is the fact that he had just had surgery on his nose like a couple of days before this, and he's supposed to be singing and part of this, not part of the song. But if you watch him, he's holding back because he's not supposed to sing, otherwise he will bust stitches that are in his nose. So just watch the different passion levels, watch how they interact with each other, and listen to what Keala says at the beginning and how she responds at the end. Let's watch it. Benjamin Justin have just written this new song called This Is Me, and uh, we knew that it was going to be the anthem of the film, um, but no one had heard it before, and no one had heard Kiala sing it live. Kiala, who I didn't even want to come out from behind the music stand. I didn't. I, I kept saying to her, just step out, because this is your moment, and you have to step out into the ring, metaphorically, because that's what you're doing, and you've got to stand right there in front of everyone and just belt this out. And I didn't want to. In fact, I stood behind that music stand yeah. until the day of that presentation. There was a moment in the song that I actually was so scared that I had to actually grab Hugh's hand so that I had somebody to hold on to. And then we got to the end of the number and all I remember is just deafening, deafening applause. It was a sort of otherworldly experience. It was one of those moments that will stay with me the rest of my life. Unfortunately, we filmed it. I'm not a stranger to the dark. Hide away, they say, cause we don't want your broken parts. I've learned to be ashamed of all my scars. Run away, they say, no one will love you as you are. But
the entire thing because often all we see is the end result we see the powerful the polished and it looks gorgeous and we think I could never do that but you heard her say in her own words she was nervous she was scared she had to grab Hugh's hand in the middle of the song there's no doubting she is gifted there's no doubting she's a powerhouse when it comes to singing but she wasn't sure about it. We give up on our dreams, I think, sometimes because we see the polished end of those that have worked to get there, and we think it's not possible for me. But I want to challenge you to change your thinking this morning. Maybe some of those dreams that are dormant or you think are dead need to be looked at again because God doesn't give us dreams and hopes and desires just to let them disappear. He gives them to us for a reason. They're ours to develop and to use, to be brave and confident about, and not set them aside. You see, the song in this message is extremely powerful if you listen to the words. Stranger in the dark, hide away, we don't want your broken parts. I've learned to be ashamed of my scars. No one will love you as you are. The sharpest words want to cut me down. We've all been in those places, and we've all let those things dictate who we are. But what I'm here to say today is that's not true. That's not who God says you are. In the song, as you listen, it comes out, I know there's a place for us. We are glorious. I am brave. I am bruised. I'm not scared to be seen. We're reaching for the sun. We're warriors. I know that I deserve your love. There's nothing I'm not worthy of. This is me. That is what God is saying to us. That is what he wants us to understand. We may be bruised. We may be battered. But we're glorious. We're created with a gift and a purpose for a reason. We are given what we have so that we can use it to honor God. It's not about arrogantly saying, this is me, just take me as I am, because we're all sinners. We all need to become more like Jesus. But it's about saying in that process of becoming more like Jesus, I'm going to be brave and use the things he has gifted me. I'm going to be brave and pursue the dreams that are in me. You see, the challenge becomes sometimes that we're wearing the label of Christian, but we're not actually following Christ with our life. And we have to decide, do we let others determine our worth, 
or do we let God's word determine our worth? Do we let other people say what we are or are not good at? Or do we let God say what we're good at? Are we willing to be challenged and pushed to pursue a dream that doesn't seem like it's possible, but we can't seem to get rid of? Or are we willing to let it go dead? Like I said at the beginning, this is a safe place because we all need to be pushed. Because you see, I had given up on my dream of being a nurse. And I'm not going to nursing school. But as I talked with my husband, I said, you know, I just cannot understand why there's still a desire there, but it's not for me. And what my wise husband said was, what is it that you wanted to be a nurse for? And I said, I wanted to care for people. I wanted to help them. And he said, well, Chris, here's what you need to realize is you may not be in a hospital giving shots and helping people get better, but you're still caring for people as a pastor. It's just a different venue. And that really hit home with me. It wasn't that the gifts and dreams I had been given were dead or dormant. It's that they were being used in a different way, and I needed somebody else to point that out to me. And so maybe today it needs to be pointed out to you that your giftings and your dreams aren't dead or dormant, but God's using them in a different way than you expected. And you need to step into that completely and confidently because that's how he's wired and gifted you so that you're not holding back, so that you're not the missing piece of the puzzle that God wants to use. Let me close with this. It comes from Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. Sometimes the path that he lights up may not be the one we want to take. But we need to decide if we're going to trust him to walk that path or not. Because when we trust God to walk the path that he has given us, he uses all things for his good. So what are you going to do? Are you going to let your dreams lie dead or dormant, or are you going to trust God to use them? And maybe that means using them for the first time, or maybe that means bringing them back, or maybe that means realizing that it's simply in a different way than you had anticipated. You guys pray with me, please. Jesus, when we come to you,